I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. Open your Bibles one last time, book of Joshua chapter 24. Let's go all the way to the end of the book. Now I understand, uh, even with eight messages, can't cover the whole book. We tried to hit some of the highlights. So we're going to come to Joshua's final message, last message from the book of Joshua. I want to talk to you for a little bit on the topic, as for me and my house, winning the battle for your family. And I want to talk to you about five decisions we must make. If we are going to win the battle for our family. As a place to begin, let's consider these words by Chuck Swindoll. Whatever else may be said about the home, it is the bottom line of life. The anvil upon which attitudes and convictions are hammered out. It is the place where life's bills come due. The single most influential force in our earthly existence. Here is the problem we face today, and everybody understands this. We have lost a whole generation of young people. We've lost a whole generation of young people to the world, a whole generation of young people not in church anywhere, a whole generation of young people that we have prayed for, who are not in our church or anybody's church this morning. How are we going to win them back for the Lord? Nothing is more important, is it, than winning the battle for our family so that we can truly say, when it is all said and done, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want us to think for a moment about the difference in the generations. Kids in the 30s, Grew up during the Depression when times were hard and everybody had to work and a dollar was a lot of money. Kids in the 40s grew up with World War II, Frank Sinatra, and Bogey and Bacall. Kids in the 50s grew up with black and white TV, I Like Ike, Hula Hoops, and a kid from Tupelo, Mississippi named Elvis Presley. Kids in the 60s grew up with the Beatles, LSD. Civil rights, assassinations, the summer of love, Vietnam, and violence in the streets. Kids in the 70s grew up with Charlie's Angels, Disco Fever, Happy Days, MASH, Saturday Night Fever, and the Doobie Brothers. Kids in the 80s grew up with crack cocaine, AIDS, MTV, Pee Wee Herman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Nintendo, Nightmare on Elm Street. Kids in the 90s grew up with The Simpsons, Friends, Seinfeld, Michael Jordan, Monica Lewinsky, rap music, and Nirvana. Kids in the aughts grew up with 9-11, The War on Terror, American Idol, Harry Potter, Alicia Keys, The Red Sox finally winning the World Series, Hurricane Katrina, and President Barack Obama. Kids in the teens are growing up now with Beyonce, Lady Gaga, Drake, 
The Cubs winning the World Series, iPhones, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, opioids, South Park, gay marriage, and President Donald Trump. Here is the result of what has happened across the last few decades. Our kids know more than we knew when we grew up. They're exposed to a lot more. They're exposed to a lot more by the age of six or seven or eight than we knew when we were 25, 30, or 35. Let's be honest, for our kids and our grandkids, for the young people growing up today, they know stuff we never heard of, never dreamed of. They routinely talk about matters of sexuality, routinely exposed to it on the internet and on TV, things that, that we never knew about, never dreamed of. Sex talk is just nothing to young people today. It has never been easy to raise a Christian family. And I want to be clear about that. It was not easy a thousand years ago. It was not easy 500 years ago. It was not easy 150 years ago. And I certainly am not suggesting it was easy to raise a Christian family in the 30s, the 40s, or the 50s. I am saying the context in which we are raising our families has radically changed in the last 50 or 60 or 70 years. Never been easy, but the things our children see and experience and talk about at an early age make it important for parents to be able to say with Joshua, and let me say honestly, for us as grandparents to say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, when you come to the end of the book of Joshua, what is clear to me is that Joshua, though he lived in another world, 3,500 years ago, that, that seems almost like another planet, not just another world, like, like, like a generation so far removed from the 21st century. It doesn't matter. When you read the last two chapters of the book of Joshua, this is the what, really, he gives one final talk in chapter 23, and then he gives his ultimate final talk in chapter 24. And he begins by saying, I am very old. He says, I'm about to go the way of all flesh. We know that Joshua lived to be a hundred and ten years old. Not only is he not a young man, not only is not just an old man, not only is he not just a senior citizen, now he has lived so long. He has outlived almost everybody else. I am very old. He knew he was about to die. Many, many years have passed. The crossing of the Jordan River is now a distant memory. The victory at Jericho, the victory at Ai, all of that is years in the past. Many years have come and gone. He knows he is about to die. What do you say when you know you are standing on the brink of of eternity. That's really what chapter 24 is all about. It's always interesting to find out what's on a man's mind as he comes down the, the final stretch when he knows that he is, that, 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 that the tape, the end of the race, he is about to cross the finish line. He's about to run through the tape. He knows it's very close. So that's what you have in Joshua 24. And let me just divide this chapter into two parts. Verses 1 through 13 are a recital 
of God's blessings. He reminds the people of what God had done for them, going way back to the beginning, going back to, to, to what God had done with, with, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and then coming more recently, what God had done at the Red Sea, what God had done leading them through the wilderness, and finally, what God had done uh, on the east side of the Jordan River, and the crossing of the Jordan River, and Jericho, and Ai, and at Gibeon, and, and the kings to the south, and the kings to the north, how God had led them from victory to victory to victory. So you have the recital of God's blessings. And then finally, in verses 14 through 27, you have a challenge to faithfulness. And these are his final words. Remember God's blessing, and then a reminder to stay faithful to God. In the middle of his final message, we have those stirring words that have been quoted and memorized for over 3,000 years. Joshua 24, 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There are five decisions we must make if we want our families to serve the Lord with us. Decision number one, we must build a grace based family. That's verses 11 through 15. As Joshua recounts the story of the conquest of the promised land, he quotes the Lord who has a strong reminder to the people. Now listen, listen as I read verses 11 through 13 to you. This is God speaking through Joshua to his people. And you went over the Jordan and you came to Jericho and the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And look what God says. And I gave you them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. And notice what he says. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. God is saying, never forget, never forget. You owe everything to the Lord God Almighty. The Lord wants them to remember that because it's always easy to start, to start looking in the mirror and saying, hey, look at me, look at us, look at what we've done. Aren't we something special? And God says, oh no, yeah, you fought the battle but I and I alone gave you the victory. See all these cities you now occupy. You didn't build them. I gave them to you. And all these vineyards and all these olive orchards, you are eating the fruit that you did not plant. So I say to myself, what is it that we must do in our families to keep a grace-based attitude? Number one, We've got to constantly talk about what God has done. We've got to talk to each other and to our kids and grandkids about what God has done. Sweetheart, do you remember when you were so sick and we prayed to God and you got better? Do you remember when dad lost his job and we were afraid so we prayed and God gave him a new job? Do you remember when we prayed for Joe and Cheryl to be saved and six months later they accepted Christ? Listen to me. 
a good memory of God's blessings is a bulwark against backsliding. So I want to say to you here, at the end of this wonderful week, at the end of this wonderful season, has God blessed you? Write it down. Has God blessed you? Remember it. Has God blessed you? Talk about it. Count your many blessings. Name them what? One by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. So a great, great thing is not just to remember God's blessings, but to write them down and to talk about them. So you will not forget what God has done. And then number two, be generous in your giving as you folks this week certainly have been. Remember what God has done. Be generous in your giving I had a friend who was one of the most generous givers I've ever known. And and I said to him, Howard, Howard, how in the world is it you can give all that money? And he said, well, Ray, I learned a long time ago. I shovel it out and God shovels it in. And God's got a bigger shovel than I do. What a great attitude to have. So remember what God has done. Be generous in your giving. And... And keep a grace basis in your family by being quick to forgive and slow to take offense. What did Peter say in 1 Peter uh, 4, 8? Love covers what? A multitude of sins. Why does love cover a multitude of sins? Because there's a multitude of sins that need to be covered. What did Jesus say? Freely you have received what? Freely give. Be quick to forgive and slow to take offense. So the first decision is build a grace-based family. Remember, what you have is what God has given you. All right, number two, teach your family to worship God. Look at Joshua 24, verse 14. He says, now fear the Lord. We, we don't talk today as much about fearing the Lord I think we've got the wrong attitude about that. We think we hear the word or the phrase, fear the Lord. We think it means cringing fear. That's really not the idea. It has the idea of honor and respect. It's love based on honor and respect. Now, fear the Lord. Teach your family to worship God. Let me say this to you. I I want to talk to the men. To the men among us. Men, straighten up. Men, listen up. And Pastor Ray, while you're talking to the men, Pastor Ray, pay attention to what you're saying yourself. Men bear a heavy responsibility in this area. Don't you thank God for praying mothers? Don't you thank God for praying grandmothers? How many, how many of us are going to heaven because a mother a godly mother and a godly grandmother prayed us into prayed us to salvation or prayed us back from the far country when we were going prodigal. So I want to say, let's be clear, thank God for praying mothers and praying grandfathers, but dads, but grandfathers. 
You bear a sacred responsibility. Dads, husbands, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, and uncles, young men, high school boys, college men, young single men, older single men, men of every age, it all starts with you. You cannot delegate spiritual leadership to your wife. You cannot delegate it to a godly grandmother. And so I'm saying we thank God for the godly women, but they can't do it all alone. We need men to stand up and take spiritual leadership. God meant that spiritual leadership is to be a shared burden. But the men must take the initiative if we truly want God's blessing. Now, I'm going to say the name Norman Rockwell. You remember Norman Rockwell? Ah, we've raised a generation that doesn't know Norman Rockwell. But you remember those? He painted those covers for the Saturday Evening Post. A magazine the young people know nothing about. One of his most famous magazine covers was painted in 1959. Just take a look at that one. Uh, This is called Sunday on the Way to Church. And look what you've got there. You've got the young girl. You've got the mother dressed up. You've got the young girl behind her. And they're dressed up, Bibles in hand. On the way to Sunday school, where's the dad? The dad's slumped down. He's, uh, he's, got the, he's got the newspaper open. What's the little boy doing? He's dressed up for Sunday school. He's got the Bible in his hand. But who's he looking at? He's looking at dad. Men, when will we learn our actions speak louder than our words? So, First decision is build a grace-based family. Second decision, teach your family to worship God. Men, you lead the way. Decision number three, become a student of obedience. Verses 14 and 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household or my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, what's the most important word? In those two verses, it's the word serve. He mentions the word serve in one form or another six times in two verses. Become a, become a student of obedience. You will never have your household, your family, your kids and grandkids serve the Lord unless you become a student of obedience. Nothing matters more than this. And, and he explains what he means here. Now, fear the Lord. What do you mean? Serve him. What do you mean? With all faithfulness. Let me tell you what that means. No hidden rooms. No hidden rooms. No hidden rooms. Everything open before the Lord. No hidden rooms. Nothing hidden because there is nothing to hide. And he says, 
Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped. You know, they had household idols back then, household deities. And, and, and Joshua was saying, it's not going to work for you to say, in 90% of my life, I'm going to serve the Lord God of Israel. But over here in this 10%, I'm going to keep the gods from the other side of the river. You know what Matthew and Henry called those those household gods, he called them, quote, dunghill deities. I like that, dunghill deities. Throw the dunghill deities away. Some years ago, I got a letter from a prisoner in Huntsville, Texas. He had read one of my books, and this is, and it had made a change in his life. And I just want to quote part of it because it illustrates this point. He says, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Then he says, I used to have all sorts of books like Penthouse, Easy Rider, American Rider, Playboy, Hot Rod, and In the Wind. But today, as I look around, none of those exist, only Bibles and good reading. I enjoy time spent reading the Bible. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've tried to get what I saw others had from that book and never did. But one of my brothers told me to pray for understanding just like that. Reading became joyful. My Lord has changed my life. I never could have. I praise God for saving my life by sending me to a place where he could slow me down and take me from Satan. In other words, he's saying, I thank God I got put in prison. How about that? I thank God I got put in prison. You know, there are men in prison who are behind bars but free on the inside. And there are people out here who are free on the outside, but enslaved on the inside. And his last words are, thank you, Jesus. I want you to know, listen, listen. I believe that man's conversion is genuine because when he came to Christ, he got rid of the gods from beyond the river. You will never, ever be able to lead your family as long as you've got a bunch of hidden places, as long as you've got a locked room, as long as you've got a locked up attic, as long as you've got a part of your life that is not open and available to the Lord. You remember many years ago, don't you, when Robert Boyd Munger, now in heaven, wrote that little booklet called My Heart, Christ Home, and he compared the believer's heart to a, to a house with many different rooms. And he said in that little book, which by the way is still in print and I highly recommend it. He said the problem with many Christians is we have welcomed Christ into the, uh, into, we've, we've let him in the front door. But we've not welcomed him into the bedroom. We welcomed him into the front door. He's inside, but we haven't let him into the living room. Haven't let him into the computer room. Haven't let him into the playroom. Haven't let him into the attic. He said, we've got, we've got whole rooms in our heart that are closed off to the Lord. And he said, you may be a believer, but you, Christ, will never be at home in your heart. Remember Ephesians 3, Paul said, I am praying for you, not just that you would know Christ, but that Christ would be fully at home in your heart. Christ will never be at home in your heart until you open up every drawer. That drawer that you've locked, that's labeled bitterness, 
That, that drawer that's locked, that's labeled anger, that drawer that's locked, that's labeled prejudice, that, that room that's locked, that's labeled unclean things, that room that's locked, that's labeled, that's labeled unforgiveness, that room that's locked, that's labeled broken relationships, You'll never have peace. You'll never have joy. You'll never have contentment until you say, Lord Jesus, I'm opening every drawer, every room, every closet. I'm opening up the attic. I'm opening up the secret places of my mind. Come in today. And as the song says, come in to stay. Come into my heart, every part, Lord Jesus. We will never have the right kind of families, men and women, as long as we have big parts of our life closed off to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want a revival? You can have one. Open up every part, every part, and let the Lord Jesus come in. Decision number four, remember your spiritual heritage. I'm going to read this again. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the regions beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And I got to tell you, the first time I ever read those verses, they kind of tripped me up. It kind of bothered me because I thought that... um, that, that Joshua was saying, hey, it doesn't matter. Just, 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 just make your choice. You want the real God? Take him. You want the other gods? Take them. So it, it sort of it messed with my mind because I wouldn't think of Joshua talking that way. Then I realized, I realized this just an ancient Old Testament form of democracy. Uh, that Joshua's just saying, make your choice. You got to make up your mind. You can't, you can't sit on the fence forever, right? That's why he's going to say later, choose you this day. He is, he is saying you need to choose the true God. But look, if you don't want the true God, if you don't want the Ten Commandments, if you don't want the law of God, if you think, if you think the true God is too narrow, he's saying, look, if you want the gods beyond the river, those are the gods of, of, of Abraham and Nahor and Terah. He's saying, if you want those old gods, those are like the moon god and the sun god. Sure, you can have those gods. Then he says, if you'd rather have the gods you left behind in Egypt, the god of, of sun, the god of rain, the god of darkness, the god of disasters, or, or if you want the god of the Amorites, that's the god of the Canaanites, the god of fertility, the god of unbridled, unlimited growth, sensuality, the god of every form of, of spiritual uh, uh, and, and sexual immorality. If if you want to worship the God of sexual pleasure, you know what he's saying? If you want to go back, that door is always open to you. You know, and, and there are some people who do. And I've heard some stories even this week about friends and kids and grandkids. I mean... Some of them, graduates of Word of Life, Bible Institute. 
Some of them probably sat under my teaching, learned the Bible from me. And today, they've just decided, I don't want that anymore. I don't want that God. I don't want that Jesus. I want the pleasures of the flesh. You know, by the way, by the way, don't be afraid of what Joshua is saying. Either we believe in God or we don't. Either we believe the Bible or we don't. We don't have to coerce people. We don't. We don't have to crowd people. We don't. Uh, Look, we don't have to yell at people. Because we've all tried that, right? We've all tried that. And we all know that when people do something wrong... If you just yell at them long enough, they will turn around and go the right direction. That's never worked in the history of the world. But we keep trying it anyway. If we only just yell at people long enough, right? If we just yell at them and threaten them and lob scripture verses like hand grenades. (laughs) We try that. Look, either we believe what the Bible says or we don't. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. Either God holds our loved ones in his hand or he doesn't. And if he doesn't, there's no hope for them anyway. But if he does, he can turn their heart back toward home. And we should pray over and over and over again. Open the eyes of their heart so that light from heaven may come flooding in. Don't ever give up. Don't ever give up. By the way, we are living We are living in such a day of confusion. We're confused about sexuality. We got good kids. We got good kids. Our kids, some of them. They they don't know anymore. Am I a boy or I'm a girl? They dress in this way or that way. You're not going to get to them by yelling at them. Our only hope is to love them. Our only hope is to love them. If we yell at them. We're just going to push them further away, right? But here, listen, listen to me. Remember, we got a power. We got a power. They can yell at us. They can swear at us. Some of them have. They can say, I don't want to hear from you again. They can slam the door and say, I hate you. They can say, get out of my life. They can refuse to read our emails. They can refuse to come to the door and we knock. They can refuse to answer our phone calls. But there's one thing they can't do. They can't stop our prayers. They cannot stop our prayers. And our prayers in the power of the Holy Spirit are more powerful than any force that hell has. Our prayers can take the children of God who have been tricked and lied to by the devil and his friends out in the world. And the power of prayer can bring them all the way back home. And let me tell you something. We are not going to give up, are we? We are not going to give up. We will never give up. Let me tell you something. We need to say we are not going to heaven without them. We 
are not going to heaven without them. We're going to pray them all the way back home. We're going to keep on praying. And with our dying breath, we are never going to give up. And we're going to believe God that if they haven't come back before we get home to heaven, they're going to come back after we get home to heaven. We are not going to heaven without them. That is our confidence. That is our faith because the power of God is greater than any power out there in the world. So don't get angry. Get on your knees and never give up. Never give up. Never, never, never give up because they can stop everything, but they cannot stop our prayers. That's why we don't have to yell at them. That's why we don't have to threaten them. That's why, that's why we can say, you can serve whatever God you want to serve. And then we just pray them on back home into the Father's house. You know what? Everybody here this morning, and I don't know everybody, but I already know this is true. Everybody here this morning knows somebody who's out there, a loved one, a family member, a child, a grandchild who's not where they ought to be this morning, we will never give up. We will not let the devil, we're not going to let the devil have any of God's children, are we? We are not going to let the devil have any of God's children. We are going to pray them back home and never love them and pray for them. Love them. That's our plan, okay? Love them and pray for them and never give up. Decision number five, choose daily to serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh, this is so famous. And, and so if you say, Joshua, General Joshua, what's on your mind at the very end? What's the last thing you want to say to us? Well, here it is. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the will of God. Matthew Henry, you know, you know what he called this? He called this serious godliness. Serious godliness. Now Joshua's saying, you folks do what you want to do. I'm not playing around. I'm taking my family to heaven with me. So how's that going to happen? First, each of us must personally decide to serve the Lord. I can't choose for you. You can't choose for me. I'm praying, oh God, raise up a generation of Joshua's. Give us men and women with the spirit of Joshua today who will say about our families what General Joshua said about his 3,500 years ago. Second, parents have a special obligation to set the right example in this area. So you got to decide, parents, you got to set the example. And third, grandparents, you have an enormous influence, an enormous influence. So I got to tell you this little story <laughs> just because it cheers me up. We've got kids in Kansas City. We've got kids in grandkids in Chicago. We've got four of them up in Missoula, Montana, long way from here. And uh, our son is pastoring a church up there. So last fall, after number four grandchild, their fourth child was born, Marlene went up there with me, and we spent a few days with them up in Missoula. And they've got... Eli, who's the oldest, and then they've got Penny, who's uh, the oldest granddaughter, and then they've got Zoe. How old is Zoe, honey? She's always four years old. She's a pistol. Oh, my. You know what I mean? Some kids, are just they just come out. That's a, she's she's going to take on the whole world. Zoe is a pistol. She'll talk your ear off. 
She'll stay with you, stay up all night. She's just going. Her motor never stops. Oh, she's something else. And we just had a lot. I had a lot of fun talking with Zoe and playing with her. And um, so we were with, with all four of them for three or four days. Not that long. We came back home. And then a few days, a few days after we got back, we were talking with Mark, our son, and Vanessa, his wife. Thank God for FaceTime. Aren't you glad for FaceTime and, and, and Skype so we can, we can see them? We were talking with them, and they told us a story that a day or so after we left, they saw Zoe, and she was, she was grabbing something heavy like a, like a big chair or something. And she was trying to drag it from one room to the other. And she was having a real hard time with it. And they said, Zoe, Zoe, that's too heavy for you. And she said, no, Grandpa said I was strong. (laughs) And you know what's funny about that? I don't even remember saying that. The power of a few words. The power of a few words upon our grandchildren. Parents and grandparents. Fathers, of course, have the highest obligation. Um, People often say, my three sons, Josh, Mark, and Nick, look like me. That's their problem, not mine. Nothing I can do about that. I guess they do. Josh looks like me one way. Mark looks like me another way. And Nick looks like me, I guess, another way. And they all look like Marlene sort of too, you know. You know how that is all blended in there. Uh, And they act like me. Josh one way. Mark one way. Nick one way. You know what they say. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Make sure that tree is healthy. Make sure that tree is healthy because your kids are going to be more like you than you think make sure that tree is healthy so here at the end there's a time to choose let's just let's just summarize it this way i'm struck by joshua's boldness this is a public choice but as for me I don't care what the rest of you do. I'm going to serve the Lord. We all have to say that. Office workers, executive business leaders, teachers, retirees, students, blue-collar workers, or simply with our friends and family members and neighbors. If you follow Christ, there will come a time when you must say, you do what you want. And whatever you do, I'm going to try to be your friend. But I am going to serve the Lord. That's a public choice. Second, this is a personal decision. But as for me, in the end, it comes down to this. You must choose to serve the Lord. It doesn't happen by accident. It can't be inherited from your parents. They can give you the heritage, but at some point, you must make it your own. Third, this is a persuasive declaration. But as for me and my house. Now, let's face it. Whenever we read this, this is clearly the most amazing thing of all. Here, Joshua speaks as the God-appointed leader, not just of his family. He's really speaking here for his whole clan, for his, he claims the right to speak for his wife, his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren, and even for his servants. He is saying, as the leader of this clan, 
I hold their proxy in my hand. And I hereby declare that my entire household will serve the living and true God. And I don't have time to get into this, but that's a very Middle Eastern way of thinking. We in America are so individualistic, you know, husband one thing, wife another, kids another, grandkids another. But you know, in the land of the Bible, in the time of the Bible, that's what a godly man would say. He would claim the right to speak for his whole family. And you know, in certain parts of Africa, in certain parts of the Middle East, they still look at it that way. A persuasive declaration as for me and my house. And fourth and finally, this is a positive declaration. We will serve the Lord. His law will be their law. His commandment will be their delight. His worship will be their highest goal. His glory, their highest aim. I find it very interesting what Joshua does not say. He does not say, my house without me. That would be like that Norman Rockwell painting. Nor does he say, me without my house, which would be a different kind of hypocrisy. Both are joined together as God intended. I will serve the Lord, and my family joins me in this pledge. How can he be so certain? He had taught them for many years. He knew their commitment, commitment, and he provided a godly example. Let me be honest. Let me be honest. Can I guarantee my sons will follow Jesus? No, I cannot. Marlene and I were talking last night to our dear friends, Mike and Amy Bush. They've got sons and we've got sons and their boys all grown up and our boys all grown up. And we, and we said what parents with grown up kids always say, how are your kids doing, you know? And we both agreed the answer was this. They're doing great today. We'll see about tomorrow, right? Because there's no guarantee. Doing great today. We'll see about tomorrow. Can I guarantee that my grandkids will follow Jesus? No. Can I guarantee my kids and grandkids won't end up somewhere out there in far country? Because it happens even to the very best of families. It happens to word of life families. We do the best we can. Sometimes our kids, the kids do have minds of their own. And sometimes they make decisions we wish they wouldn't make. But you know what? I think what Josh was saying, I can't force anything and I don't want to try it. But... If I'm the right kind of man and have the right kind of life, I can tip the scales. I don't have, I'm going to give you another whole sermon in one sentence. Because I don't have the time. I think the secret is two things. Serious godliness plus heartfelt joy. Serious godliness plus heartfelt joy. When your kids, when your kids see that you're serious, but there's the joy of the Lord. And the atmosphere is not oppressive. That's the best chance to raise a family that really loves the Lord. Okay, so here's the application. Time for me to finish. Choose for yourselves who you will serve. My word of life, friends, choose for yourself whom you will serve. In the words of Bob Dylan, You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. No one gets a free ride and no one can straddle the fence forever. There's no room for neutrality. No room. Watch this. I'm just, I'm coming down to the end of the sermon. Everyone needs a God. 
And guess what? Everyone has a God. And everyone must serve the God you choose. Make sure you choose the right one. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. You cannot choose the Lord by default. And no one can choose the Lord for you. Make your choice. Cast your vote. Choose your God. I know what you're going to say. And I know what you're going to do. I pray you will make the right choice. So then, let us all, and I mean this, let us all say the words together. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Lord, this is our prayer. This is our hope. This is our dream. This is our commitment. Help us, Lord, to live in such a way that it's easy for those who follow us in turn to follow you. And we pray today for members of our family, loved ones who are far from you. Lord, send your spirit. Give them no rest. And Lord, give us a spirit of endurance and perseverance to love them and never give up praying for them until finally at last they are home with us and with you. Lord, we don't want to go to heaven without them. So we say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. May the day come when around the throne in heaven, all of us are there together. All of God's children are there, not one missing as we worship and serve and rejoice in Jesus together for all eternity. May that come true. Lord, we can't do that. We can't answer the prayer, but you can. We're asking you to do it because we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.